Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Australia is well known as being a continent filled with bizarre animals that can kill you. And today's episode is all about, even with modern mechanized technology, sometimes it's more than a little difficult to kill them back. Today's episode is all about humanity mobilizing itself to get rid of Australian megafauna and the Australian megafauna saying no. Following World War I, several Australian veterans, they were granted huge tracts of land in Western Australia, and that was supposed to do two things for the nation. Uh, for one, it was supposed to give the former soldiers employment, give them something to do, and also it would allow Australia to start producing grain domestically as opposed to importing it from other different countries. But in the early 1930s, Australian wheat farmers, they faced three different problems. One was the weather, the other was the Great Depression, and the third, emus. The emu is a huge bird. It's about six feet tall, it weighs between 70 and 100 pounds, and running with its mighty bird legs can get up to about 30 miles per hour. It's also a pack animal. You do not see one emu, you see many, many emus. By the way, given that the emu is a six-foot-tall, flightless, bipedal, feathered sprinter, it's essentially a modern dinosaur, and that's not an exaggeration. Thoropods, like the T-Rex, they're exactly the sort of thing that evolved into modern birds. The dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, which should have had feathers, by the way, probably resembled emus more than anything else that was on screen. And in 1932, and in 1932, the birds proved themselves to be as clever and as unkillable as any movie dinosaurs in what is now known as the Emu War. So, again, there was weather, there was a Great Depression, and emus. The summer of 1932, it was a hot one in Western Australia, and the heat was not at all good for the various farmers who lived there. Crops shriveled, water was harder to come by, and the plants, they were not at their plantiest. Um, on top of that, they were also well into the Great Depression, and the Australian government, which again is trying to give these former soldiers employment and is also trying to encourage domestic grain production, has promised a bunch of subsidies for these guys. But what with it being the Great Depression and all, these subsidies, they did not materialize. Also, there were the emus. So because it was hot, because there was something of a drought, various Australian fauna, they had trouble finding food in this harsher climate. And the emus, they were clever, they were resourceful, and they soon found food and water in these new human settlements that had popped up in the past decade. The hot summer wheat fields of Western Australia, they were performing poorly by human standards, but they were a veritable sporgasbord to these emus. These emus soon discovered that there were these vast fields with all these edible plants just hanging out. There was all this water in there that they could just drink. Uh, also, they were guarded by fences that the emus could just bust on through with their emu strength. Um, by the way, the busted fences from the emus, those were also a problem because that let in rabbits. Rabbits are an invasive species in Australia, and the rabbits soon started burrowing through wheat fields and doing rabbit stuff. So the emus, they're suddenly running rampant through all these wheat fields, helping themselves to the sweet, starchy, carbohydrate goodness that is wheat. So farmers, 
They were already concerned for their crops because of the weather. They were also angry because of the lack of agricultural subsidies, because again, the Great Depression. And now they have invading emus literally eating their livelihood. Something had to be done about these bipedal featherballs. Australia's solution? Shoot them with guns. George Pierce was Australia's Minister of Defense at the time, and his solution was to send a great war veteran, a guy named G.P.W. Meredith, to Western Australia to take a squad of four guys, some old World War I machine guns, and 10,000 rounds of ammunition into Western Australia, and just unload on the emus. Just set up one of those machine guns and mow them all down. Cole the menace that was vexing Australians' nascent grain industry, and, along the way, collect their feathers so that they could be used as hats. On paper, this was a great idea. The machine gun, after all, it had been one of the fiercest weapons um, of British colonialism, uh, prompting, famously, to quote Hilary Belloc to quip, Whatever happens, we have got the Maxim gun, and they have not. Britain had machine guns. Oftentimes, its indigenous opponents didn't. Advantage, Britain. And if the machine gun could be used to subdue actual real humans... Well, it's probably going to do great against a bunch of dumb birds, right? Right? The guns that Meredith and his men were using were known as Lewis guns, and it had been a fearsome addition to the battlefield in World War I. However, the mighty machine gun turned out to be no match for a pack of emus. In November of 1932, Meredith and his squad of emu hunters, they were able to engage with the birds in the Campion region of Western Australia. Their first attempts were unsuccessful. And while they did kill some emus, most of the packs that they had countered, which numbered in the thousands, by the way, were able to scatter. They were able to run away, uh, get out of range of the guns, and hide from the men and employ what we would now call guerrilla tactics. Meredith, knowing that the emus were quite speedy, said, OK, here's our problem. We're just not catching up with these very fast birds. So he decided that the thing to do would be to bolt his World War I machine guns to the top of a truck to create a kind of roving anti-emu death platform so he could just drive around and, uh, you know, mow down emus with his gun truck. That did not work either. At the end of only two days in November of 1932, Meredith and his men had fired some 2,500 rounds of ammunition, but had only killed a few hundred emus. We don't know how many birds it was for sure, but the maximum number I saw for this was about 500, and some accounts are as low as 50 birds. And that's not a lot considering that there were hundreds of thousands of emus sprinting about the Australian countryside eating wheat. Meredith, in his report on the engagement with the emus, noted that his men had suffered no casualties. There's a bizarre and off-sighted quote from one of the guys who was involved with this emu war about, you know, killing emus and how difficult it was. And he said, there's only one way to kill an emu. Shoot him through the back of the head when his mouth is closed or through the front of his mouth when his mouth is open. That's how hard it is, unquote, which is a weird thing to say. And either the guy in question, he really didn't know how bullets or emu anatomy worked, or he was being sarcastic and trying to make some kind of weird point about the emu's perceived invincibility. And this is a point that comes up again and again and again. The birds got good at avoiding these soldiers and moving in such a way that made them very, very hard to hit. 
Another guy opined, quote, If we had the military division with the bullet-carrying capacity, that is, the bullet-absorbing and bullet-dodging capacity, of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They are like Zulus, whom not even dum-dum bullets could stop. Unquote. So even though some emus are dropping, machine guns, which had been the terror of the World War I battlefield, just aren't getting the job done here. Meredith made another attempt at emu elimination later that November, but it went about as well as the first. By early December of that year, he had claimed about 986 emus had been killed by 9,860 rounds of ammunition. So that's one emu for every 10 rounds of ammo. By the way, machine gun ammo is not exactly cheap. This is not really cost-effective. Um, and I think perhaps that Meredith massaged his numbers a little so that they look more neat and round. But right there, that was the problem with the emu war. The problem was not so much that the soldiers couldn't kill emus, um, they could and did, but that they couldn't kill enough of them at a great enough rate to make it all worth it. The costs of mobilizing, you know, guys, vehicles, firing guns, that exceeded the perceived benefit of the number of emus being killed. Now, here's what I wish I could tell you. I really wish that the emu war, as it's called, ended with a great joining of the various emu clans, and that they all formed into a great emu horde, and that eventually, led by Emu Khan, they all, they all ravaged the Australian countryside, going from town to town, burning it without mercy, making gigantic Mongolian-style pyramids of skulls and bones. Eventually they got to Sydney. Eventually they burned the whole thing, burned the bridge, burned the opera house, burned it all, and expelled humans from their continent forever. But um, that is not how the emus, in fact, won the emu war, as cool as that would be. Really, the humans just knew that what they were doing was futile, and that they couldn't actually wipe out the emus with the methods that they had been using, and that the amount of bullets that they had shot, they were very expensive, and the number of birds that they had killed was not a lot. So 1932, it was an unmitigated disaster for Australian grain, because of the weather, the depression, and the emus, and the rabbits. But the country would eventually get its act together and create a perfectly fine domestic agricultural sector. But following the Emu War, Australia, what they had to do was simply lower tariffs on foreign grain and allow more non-Australian wheat into its ports. And this story is, in a way, sort of comforting. We live in a world that's been pretty well despoiled by humans. The climate is changing. The world is getting hotter. Species are going extinct. And over and over and over again, when you look at the struggles of humanity versus nature, they don't look like struggles anymore. You start to feel bad for nature. It used to be that man versus nature stories were the stories of humans having to deal with tidal waves or avalanches or fearsome animals who wanted to eat them. But nowadays, man versus nature stories, they just seem like we are beating up nature. But right here in 1932, we do have a single instance where humans and technology, they arrayed themselves before the natural world. They set out with guns bolted to trucks, tried to drive around and shoot nature to death. And nature, in the form of that living dinosaur, in the form of the mighty emu, nature told them, 
no. Interesting Times, we are recorded at the studios of Portland's X-Ray FM 91.1 and 107.1 in Portland, Oregon. Our engineer is Arthur Rosato. If you would like to contribute to Interesting Times, please do that. We are entirely 100% and completely funded by our Patreon supporters. Go to interestingtimespodcast.com and sign up to do that thing. Uh, We're on iTunes and Stitcher. Please do go on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Leave a comment. That helps other people discover the show. We're on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Bye. I went to everybody's head about the bird. Bird, 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 bird,